Earn a Master of Arts in Ministry degree online through St. John's School of Theology and Seminary. Every admitted degree-seeking student receives a tuition scholarship. Learn more at www.collegevillemn.com. Applications are still open for the fall of 2023. Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. We have some major news from Rome. Pope Francis is set to go under the knife. You remember that yesterday he had gone to Rome's uh, Gemelli Hospital for a checkup. Well, we now understand that uh, the Pope has been hospitalized. He will have an operation on his intestine two years after he had part of his colon removed. Pope Francis was admitted into Gemelli Hospital in Rome for surgery on Wednesday morning. The Pope had gone in for a routine checkup earlier in the week, and it was determined that he needed a follow-up surgery to the one performed for his diverticulitis in 2021. The head of St. Peter's Basilica performed a special rite after the main altar was desecrated by a man's naked protest. A naked protester with the words, Save Children of Ukraine, painted on his back, climbed onto the altar at St. Peter's Basilica on Thursday evening, June 1st, just days before Cardinal Matteo Zuppi traveled to Ukraine to begin the Pope's peace mission. Up next, Pope Francis told Pope Benedict XVI's secretary, Archbishop Georg Gainswein, to move out of his Vatican apartment by July 1st. But with no next appointment, the question remains, where will Gainswein go? I'm Colleen Deli. This is Inside the Vatican. Good morning from New Orleans, Jerry. Good afternoon from hot and humid Rome, Colleen. Jerry, it has been a busy day at the Vatican. We're actually recording a little update to our episode on Wednesday, June 7th. And this morning, it was announced that Pope Francis was going to the hospital for a surgery. What do we know so far? Well, what we know is that uh, he had a checkup yesterday. He had something like a CAT scan, and uh, they obviously concluded that he needed surgery. I understand that some in the Vatican knew last night that the Pope was going into the hospital today. Uh, he held a public audience, the Wednesday audience, this morning. He looked in perfectly good shape. He gave no indication that he was going into hospital. Right. And what do we know about this surgery? Well, you remember way back in July 4, 2021, Francis had a major operation. It went th- more than three hours, uh, in which they removed part of the colon. This involved open surgery on his stomach, and so there was quite a large scar. And they removed, I think, 33 centimeters. That's quite a bit of the major intestine. Right. For many people, it heals, but for some, after months or years, there are problems along the scar. And you can get uh, some of the bulges or other things protruding. So like a hernia. Yeah, they call it now an incisional hernia. Okay. And uh, it's clear that it was causing him considerable pain. And this is often the case when a person is overweight. And Francis has put on a lot of weight, partly due to the fact that he hasn't been able to walk much. Only in the past two months has he begun to walk. Mm -hmm, Because of his knee problems. 
I want to go back to what you said about him going under anesthesia. We know that, especially when we were talking about his knee problems, the reason that Francis was really hesitant about undergoing knee surgery and didn't end up doing it was that he reacted poorly to the anesthesia the last time he went under, which was that intestinal surgery in 2021. So what do you make of the fact that he was willing to undergo it this time? Well, it means that obviously the situation was sufficiently serious for him to accept to go under it. They can't force him. He has to accept to have an operation. They obviously felt it was necessary for him to do it quickly. So, Jerry, uh, while we're recording this, it's about 10.30 a.m. in New York. It's, what time, 4.30 p.m. in Rome? Exactly. The Pope is he's probably still in the operation. So we might have some more news about this coming out uh, later from the Vatican. And we'll update that on americamagazine.org, and we'll have a link in the show notes. Uh, But what do we know so far about the Pope's expected recovery time? Do we have any news on that? Yes. What we do know is that uh, they they promised to issue a statement after the surgery had been completed. Now, how long after, they haven't said. But we're expecting sometime this evening, Rome time, which will be afternoon, your time, uh, that uh, we will get a report. I can't imagine that they will give enormous amount of detail. That's not in their style. And the Pope doesn't want to have full-blown information like sometimes you get from hospital briefings. Uh, Secondly, what we do know is that he's likely to be in hospital uh, several days. One person said to me, at least seven days. So sometime next week, all going well, he, he will come out. And then he, he will need a period of rest. I mean, he's not a man who slows down, and uh, he, they will probably keep him in hospital as long as they can to ensure that there are no mishaps in the recovery process. I, I'm guessing, Colleen, I'm no doctor. And all I do know is that people all over the world are praying for him already. I, I had a message from a very close uh, top assistant of the uh, Grand Imam of Al-Azhar saying we're praying for him. I've had messages from cardinals who saying we're praying for him. So a lot of people around the world are praying for him already. And, uh, you know, he, he's, he is 86, so he's, he's, he's not a young man. And he, this is his third visit to hospital in two years. So we, we pray that he recovers quickly. Jerry, I want to talk to you a little bit about um, how this was communicated We know that Pope Francis likes to keep his cards close to the chest when it comes to medical issues. Uh, The updates that we got throughout his last hospitalization were really sparse and same for before when he was in the hospital after his original intestinal surgery. What's the perception in Rome about how the Vatican's been communicating about this? Well, you remember yesterday, that was Tuesday, the 6th of June, Francis went to the Gemelli for this CAT scan. He was in there for less than an hour. But it was the media which uh, broke the news. And it was already floating around the media. And there was no statement from the Vatican. Mm-hmm. For two hours. Until, until two hours after he had returned to the Vatican. Yesterday, when he went to the hospital, the, the alarm bells sounded among the media here. And then he came back and he seemed okay. And, he, and then during, as the audience was going on, one Italian paper broke the news that the Pope was going to have an operation this afternoon. And shortly after, the answer, the Italian state news agency said, confirmed this. But now I also know that since a number of people in the Vatican knew it last night, somebody obviously tipped off one of the one or more journalists. And uh, then after those two, as it were, leaks, 
the Vatican came out with its own statement, even as the Pope was still concluding his audience, saying he had gone to hospital. But they gave some more substantial detail, and obviously they have, I think, understood that they need to give substantial information. Otherwise, you don't keep things under wraps on such an important person in a hospital where there are hundreds of people, nurses, doctors, patients, uh, and now the, the media kind of having it almost under the spotlight. So uh, it was good that the Vatican came out with a statement. We have to see what comes this evening. All right, Jerry, thank you so much for uh, chatting with me through this story real quick. And now for our listeners, we are going to go into our recorded conversation from yesterday, June 6th. Jerry, now into our first big story for the week. On Thursday evening in Rome, Thursday afternoon here in the States, images started circling on social media of a naked man in black socks and sneakers standing on top of the high altar in St. Peter's Basilica. And he had the words, save the children of Ukraine, painted on his back. There was some question at first about whether the images were real, but reporters were able to confirm that around the cathedral's closing time, a Polish man had approached the altar, he undressed, and he climbed on top of it with his back to the pews. He didn't shout, he didn't act aggressively, and he was quickly arrested by the Vatican police and then handed over to Italian authorities who ordered him to leave the country. So Jerry, just real quick, what do we know about this protester and maybe why he chose the Vatican for this protest? We know very little more than what you've just said. He was Polish. He's been now repatriated to his own country. And we know that this man was suffering some kind of mental distress. And one Vatican source told the press that he had a lot of self-inflicted cuts from his fingernails all over his body. So the guy was really, really struggling. It was interesting yesterday or when they had the ceremony for reparation led by Cardinal Gambetti. Mm -hmm. He is the archpriest of St. Peter's Basilica. He said, we're in troubled times and people do get into situations where they have very strong feelings and they feel people aren't listening to them. And so they look for some way of attracting attention to this issue that they are concerned with. Jerry, you mentioned that Cardinal Gambetti, the archpriest of the Basilica, had performed a penitential rite for the desecration of the altar. What goes into a, a rite like that? I saw that it was performed in the press, that was all reported, but I, I was wondering what goes into this kind of thing. Yes, it hasn't got enormous coverage in the press, to be quite honest. But it, it, it involves reading from the scriptures, uh, some the litany of the saints, uh, some prayers for asking God for forgiveness, reconsecration of blessing of the altar. Then uh, the Our Father and the homily, uh, it would happen in many places. It looked like it was a pretty small ceremony too. There were just a few people. Well, as I said, the, 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 the case wasn't a big issue here. Mm -hmm. uh, we have many people doing strange things around the Vatican in these years. Yeah, actually, that's something I wanted to ask you about, because, you know, just a couple weeks ago, we saw the climate activists who had glued themselves to a statue in the Vatican museums go on trial in the Vatican. And there have obviously been plenty of other protests in the Vatican in the past. What is it about the Vatican that attracts these kinds of displays? I think, as Cardinal Gambetti said, people have issues, problems. They feel others are not listening to them or they're not getting attention. And so they do something dramatic to draw attention to their problem. 
The man who drove the car into the Vatican some weeks back claimed that he had seen the devil and he wanted to talk to the Pope about the devil. I wrote in my book on, on the conclave, the day that Pope Francis was elected, there were two young women who bare-breasted in the St. Peter's Square protesting how the Vatican treated women. The, the Vatican is a place that attracts people. People come, they have their own issues, they, and it's a place where they can also draw attention to themselves. And so you have all these kind of issues. But I, I must say they they get less attention here than they do in some of the international press. Mm, got it. I mean, Rome is used to a lot of scenes. And uh, I think so many things happen that uh, what becomes a big news story in the United States uh, may go almost unnoticed here. Yeah, and that's something that you and I have run up against frequently in just deciding what to talk about on this show is, you know, the what's news in, in the States and what's news in Italy are very different. I have one last question on this, which is, you know, between this and the man that you mentioned who drove past the Swiss guards trying to get to the Pope, do you think that the Vatican gendarmerie or the Vatican police need to up its security efforts? You know, Colleen, the number of people that visit the Vatican every day are in thousands. Right. You cannot check everybody. There's no way. They have screening, electronic screening. Uh, if they see something that's obviously quite weird, they try to intervene. But there is no way you can control everybody. And then the people could go in looking perfectly normal and suddenly do something strange. Yeah, I guess I'm just surprised by how different the response to this is in the Vatican versus how it would be in the US. You know, we have uh, situations like this get escalated so, so quickly here, whereas in the Vatican, it often is like, oh, yeah, there was a quick arrest. Sometimes we hear about a trial a little later on. But, you know, with the guy who drove past the Swiss guards, it was like, okay, yeah, now he has uh, been sentenced to get mental health help and he's in a psychiatric unit. In the US, it just doesn't happen like that. Well, there's different co codes of law as well. There's different understandings. I, I mean, if you think uh, the number of people you have in prison in the United States is one of the world's highest. Now, it was protest in the Vatican happened just four days before Cardinal Zuppi, the point man for the Vatican's peace mission to end the war in Ukraine, headed to Kiev to get that peace process rolling. He was there June 5th and June 6th, which is actually the day that we're recording this show. And Jerry, you've done some reporting on the Cardinal's visit. What has he been doing in Ukraine? Well, it's very interesting. When he arrived there first, he went to Bucha, where many people were killed, tortured, and they dug up the graves after the Russians had retreated. And uh, it's, it's one of the symbols of the terrible crimes against humanity that have taken place in this country in this last year. So he went there to really, I think, recognize on the part of the Pope that crimes have happened, crimes against humanity, and he went there and he prayed in silence for a while. That That's when he arrived before arriving in Kiev, because Bucha is in the outskirts of Kiev. And when he got to Kiev, who did he meet with? Cardinal Zupi talked with the politics, some of the members of parliament, the foreign minister. He talked today with President Zelensky. He also talked with a wide variety of the religious leaders, including Archbishop Shevchuk, who is the Greek Catholic bishop. 
the Vatican, in the presentation of the visit, they outlined two things. They said, one, Cardinal Zuppi was going to listen. So he was going to listen to a wide variety of people. And also in those conversations, they would touch on uh, the humanitarian issues, the exchange of prisoners, the abducted children. And while he was there, Zuppi, I think the first night, there were something like 20 drones shot down over Kiev. And the second day, this morning, Russians have bombed a dam, a hydroelectric dam, and uh, Archbishop Chevchuk called it a crime against humanity, an ecological crime, a sin against the creator. He said it's put tens of thousands of lives in danger. They've had to move more than 16,000 people suddenly to avoid them being killed in the floods. Right. And for the people who remain, they've now lost this critical piece of infrastructure that provides so much power. Yes. And so uh, in a way, Zupi, not just had he had this listening experience and this discussion, the humanitarian, but he's been there while some major crimes have been happening. Well, and also, you know, this visit comes at a particularly high stakes time because Ukraine has launched its long awaited summer counteroffensive against Russia now. So we only see the violence escalating here. So let's talk for a second about what Zupi is trying to do here. The Vatican says that they're trying to foster a climate in which peace can be made, but we know that there isn't the will for a ceasefire. So what does fostering that climate look like? First of all, he, he wants to try and understand clearly what is in the mind of not just the decision makers, but other key figures in the country. Remember, when Cardinal Zuppi was involved in brokering the peace in the civil war in Mozambique, in uh, reached a peace agreement in 1992, I think it took 28 months of negotiation. Now, nobody expects miracles on this. And the Vatican Cardinal Parolin made very clear, this is we're not at the stage of mediation. We're at the stage of listening. What gestures of humanity can be done and can be immediately fostered, encouraged, engaged in by the Vatican? Mm -hmm. And one of those things, as we've talked about a few times, is this working to return the children, and now there's discussion of adults as well, but the children who have been taken from Ukraine to Russia and subjected to various kinds of indoctrination, re-education, been robbed of their Ukrainian citizenship, which is exactly what this protester in, in St. Peter's Basilica was trying to draw attention to, was these, well, ostensibly was trying to draw attention to, is these abducted children. It's a very big pro problem, Colleen, because if you think Russian families now have adopted many of these children. Mm -hmm. It is a very difficult situation, and Russia does not want to recognize that these are Ukrainian children because they see the Ukrainians and the Russians as one people. Right, right. Jerry, you mentioned that Cardinal Zupi is doing all these listening sessions. What happens with the information that he gathers on this trip? Well, he arrives back in Rome this evening. This is Tuesday evening. Mm -hmm. I expect he will report, he will put together his report and then I think uh, meet the Pope pretty quickly and then share it with the Secretariat of State. Got it. Now, th this is an information gathering exercise, but also maybe he comes up with ideas as how to face some of these problems. Mm -hmm. And then he's got to move into stage two. They're already preparing for his visit to Moscow. 
Right. That's what I was going to ask next. We know that this is going to be a much more challenging trip. Do we know anything about this planned trip to Moscow? Well, to date, the evidence is that Mr. Putin is not going to meet him. Mm -hmm. No more than he's willing to take a phone call from the Pope. Right. We have that from the Kremlin spokesperson who says that there is nothing on the agenda for Putin to meet with Zupi. Yes, we, we weren't given a list in advance of who Cardinal Zupi would have met in Ukraine. Mm, okay. There was a lot of good guessing and it's been proved to be on, on target. What we do know is that Cardinal Zupi was a member of the Sant'Egidio community. They've traditionally had very good links with the Russian Orthodox Church and with Petrarch Kirill and with the number two. And I think it is on the cards that he would probably sit down with Petrarch Kirill, who has been a strong supporter of the war and sees it as defense of the fatherland and what like. Uh, and so I think he will be looking for ways of trying to move perhaps Kirill. So he will meet the religious leaders. He'll meet the Catholic uh, nuncio. I mean, in Ukraine, in Kiev, he was the nuncio. That's the Vatican's ambassador to Kiev, who's been there throughout from throughout the whole war, was accompanied Cardinal Zupi. I think the same will happen in Moscow. The nuncio, the papal nuncio in Moscow, Vatican's ambassador, will accompany Zupi. He, he will meet, I understand, with some government, at least one government minister, maybe more. Uh, one might expect that he'd meet with a foreign minister, as he did in Kiev. And there's another interesting point, Colleen, that I'd like to make, that Cardinal Parolin said in his statement, are the first interlocutors, in other words, the first people we talk to are in Kiev and Moscow. And then we're open to talking to others. Who those others are, presumably the European Union, the United States, maybe China, uh, the African leaders have expressed a desire to try and foster peace. President Lula, he, he's coming to the Vatican soon. He, he's looking really at, you know, what's possible in the midst of a conflict where the main combatants have no intention at this point of stop fighting. Uh, just now during our recording, an official statement came out from Ukrainian President Zelensky's office. Jerry, can you quickly sum up for us what it said? He, he revealed really the content of his discussion with Cardinal Zupi. He said, we discussed the situation in Ukraine, humanitarian cooperation in, in the framework of their peace plan. And then he said he's called for more pressure on Russia. He says it's the only way diplomatic isolation pressure can uh, push them to peace. And he asked the Holy See to contribute to the implementation of the plan he talked about with the Pope. But he said, and I think this is the key thing, he said after his visit to the Pope, he said, we're not looking for mediators between us and Russia. But he said, the algorithm for achieving peace can be Ukrainian only. In other words, only Ukraine can decide what it considers a just peace. All right, Jerry, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about Archbishop Georg Gainsfein being told to leave the Vatican, or at least leave his Vatican apartment, by July 1st. Stay with us. Shipping can make or break a sale. 
So optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Pope Francis has given Archbishop Georg Gainsfein, who was Pope Benedict's former secretary, a deadline for moving out of his Vatican apartment, July 1st. Jerry, you and Ricardo discussed how Gainsfein would have to leave the Vatican back in April before I returned from maternity leave. So what's new in this story? Well, basically, the July 1st deadline is new because we knew that the Pope wanted him out in some months, but we didn't have a specific date. And I remember y'all saying back then that this was already longer than Gainsfein's predecessors have had to leave their Vatican apartments, right? Well, th- th- this is a very reasonable period. Six months to move house after Benedict has died. And nobody can say that that's brutal or unfair to him. He's not being unceremoniously evicted. Secondly, all his predecessors have left Rome and gone back to their home diocese. And this is now what is expected of Ganschwein. So that's the second thing. There was a lot of discussion. Some of it, it seems, has been inspired by Ganschwein as whether he might be sent as a nuncio somewhere, that's the Vatican ambassador, or whether he might get another job in the Vatican. Well, it became very clear very quickly, especially after he published his book, that neither were possible. Yeah, his book was a kind of a tell-all about Benedict, and it was published very quickly after Benedict's death. And it seems like that's kind of jeopardized his opportunities for his next appointment. Well, the Benedict's body was hardly cold, if one might use that expression, when uh, there was news of the book became the, the main story. And this really upset many people of different persuasions, if you want to call it this, in the Vatican. People felt this was really not appropriate to bring out a book on on the day after the Pope had died. First of all, he stated clearly in the book that he thought that Francis, after a few months, didn't trust him. We should mention that Gainsfein was actually working for both popes at the same time. He was the prefect of the papal household for Pope Francis, while also serving as Benedict's secretary, and Pope Francis asked him to focus just on Benedict. He removed him from that job, and it seems like Gainsfein thinks that that was because Francis didn't believe he could be trusted. Secondly, he published private correspondence between Francis and Benedict, uh, which really is completely improper, to say the least. It, It really went a step too far because people asked, what is the difference between him and Paola Gabrielli. Paola Gabrielli was the butler of Benedict XVI, and he leaked the documents to the press. He was the source of Vatty leaks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and thirdly, he sought to bring out that there was a lot of 
tension between Francis and Benedict. And Francis has come out very clearly and said, you know, this is not exactly the state of, of relationship that existed between me and Benedict. It, to sum up, I put in three words in my article what the problems were seen from within the Vatican. One, trustworthiness. He wasn't seen as trustworthy anymore. Secondly, loyalty. He didn't show loyalty to, to both popes. And thirdly, he did not show the reserve that one would have expected of a person in such a position of trust. A lot of what you've mentioned here is a lack of trust within the Vatican. You've mentioned that he will likely return to Germany. What accounts for him not having a role waiting for him in Germany? Well, the understanding here is that the German bishops don't want him back as a bishop of a diocese, because to be a bishop of a diocese is to have responsibility. And when he had positions of responsibility, uh, he did not uh, act in a way that was measurable to that responsibility. And so he will have no official function. But he's now 66. In normal working life, when you're 65, maybe 60, you retire. In the church, it has been different. You can go on to be a bishop until you're 75, running a diocese, be a cardinal until you're 80, with, with a right to vote in the conclave. But it seems that, especially with the publication of the book and how he acted after the death of Pope Benedict, people do not feel he merits the trust of another important position. Right, so it, it remains to be seen then what he is going to do if he's uh, entering an early retirement for a bishop. How will he spend his time? And I think that we probably haven't haven't heard the last from him. For his part, Archbishop Genschwein has not said anything. He has not confirmed or denied. He said nothing. What we are now waiting for is when he moves out of the Vatican, then we just have to wait and see what happens. All right. Cherry, thank you for talking to me about these stories this week. I appreciate it. Thank you, Colin. I'm sure we'll be returning to this again. And certainly we'll be returning to the question of Cardinal Zuppi's peace mission, because it's involving the, the Pope and it's involving the Church, and it's a question of peace in the world. Well, and I, I think our prayer here is that it, it doesn't take 28 months to sort out. All right, Cherry, I'll see you next week. Inside the Vatican is a production of America Media. This episode was produced by Maggie Van Dorn and Ricardo Da Silva. Audio engineering by Kevin Christopher Robles. Production assistance from Cristobal Spielman. Our executive producer is Sebastian Gomes. To keep up with the latest news out of the Vatican, please follow us on Twitter at INSDE Vatican Pod. That's inside without the second I, Vatican Pod. You can also follow me on Twitter at Colleen Dully, that's C O L L E E N D U L L E. And Jerry at Jerry O Rome. That's G E R R Y O R O M E. Please consider becoming a digital subscriber to America. Just click on the link in our show notes. It's really easy to do, and it's the best way to support our work here on Inside the Vatican. And if you have a little time to spare, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. For America Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Dully. We'll see you next time. <laughs>